Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm so excited to finally get to talk to this person. I feel like between both of us, like every time we've been planning to talk, either I've been ill or Al's been ill or she's been ill or her daughter's been ill, but we're finally doing it. And this is actually the first time we've caught up both of us since becoming mums. I'm going to give a good introduction before I tell you who it is, but she has a huge online audience. She is the founder of The Honey Store. People just really trust her opinion. They come to her for guidance through the early stages of adulthood. Her content spans beauty, fashion, relationships, the world of work and life with her husband, Spencer, and her daughter, Vanalia, who has just turned five months. I, I just love this person because she really uses her platform for good. She talks a lot about mental health and bullying. And I'm very, very excited to have this conversation now that she is a mum. It's Imogen Horton, a.k.a. Imagination. Thank you. That was a lovely intro. You made me get goosebumps. You're very kind. I'm so happy to be here because I feel like, like we were just speaking before, it's just so nice to talk about things with someone who is, again, you're so open. You have such an amazing platform. You use your platform for so much good. So it's so nice to finally be chatting about all things that we can just talk about. Yeah. Yeah. It's so nice. I love like being able to talk to people about motherhood because I feel like it's such a... I mean, it's just like the most life-changing. I don't think any, you know that your life's going to change, but I don't think anything can prepare you for it. And with that, I think comes all the unsolicited advice and the really wow. amazing advice, the judgment, but also like the incredible sisterhood that you kind yeah. of enter into. I feel like you can never be, in anyone's opinion, you're never going to do what they really want you to do. You know, there are so many people that are so amazing. And yeah, you get this amazing support system, this extra community. But then also you get with it people wanting to give you this advice that make you then question you as a mum, because you're like, this isn't the first time I'm doing it. I have zero idea what I'm doing. And I feel like then you open yourself up to people giving you this advice where you're like, right, okay. Maybe I shouldn't have opened myself up to that because the more open you are, sometimes the more you subjectify yourself to people having an opinion. And sometimes, yeah. even, and I, I agree with people giving opinions, but then sometimes it's like, especially with a mom, you're just trying to, you're just blagging your way through it. You're just trying to do everything you physically can for your baby, but your baby's completely different to, you know, your baby. I think with the unsolicited advice and the opinions, it depends what the intention behind it is. Yes. Because some people, and I'd say the majority of people, whether it's online, offline, to any parents, mm-hmm. most of the time what they say is, usually it's things that they struggled with and they wish that they had known based on their own experience. So they want to share that. But when you have so many people sharing their own experiences, especially like the lows and the struggles that can be like incredibly overwhelming for people, especially. And I think as well, I am really mindful now. I call them the just you wait mums because it's like, whenever you say like anything that you're enjoying or looking forward to people are like, just you wait. And then it's like negative. So, but now that my friends, a few of them are starting to like be pregnant and have babies. I, I, it's like on the tip of my tongue and I don't know whether it's because I, I, but obviously I, I never say it because I want people like, why wouldn't I want people to be excited and to be happy? And in no other part of life do we give our unwanted or unsolicited opinion. Like imagine if we were going to go on holiday and on yeah. our way to the airport, like people just kept butting their heads in, in the door or on the train being like, by the mm-hmm. way, my friend, my friend was on a plane crash. By the way, my friend went traveling to Mexico and they got it's rocked. Triggers. When I was pregnant, 
the amount of people who, because obviously it's triggering for other people. So I think from you triggering someone else, they then send a trigger to you. So I remember being pregnant and having so many people who were like, I'm going to have to unfollow you, which is completely understandable because something was triggering for them. They're going on their own journey and it's hard for them. But also with that came horror stories and it's, it's, you know, the anxiety is going through the roof anyway, when you're pregnant, it, it goes through the roof. When you have a baby, it goes through the roof thinking about, everything you have to go through, pregnancy, birth, all those things. And I was being sent so many DMs that I just said to Spencer, my husband, I said, I can't look at these DMs. I love going through my DMs. I love being communicative with, you know, the people that follow me because I feel so like I've built this family on the internet through YouTube and through my platform where I love it. But then also I felt like I just can't, I can't read these things because it was so triggering. It's obviously because it's a trigger for them that I'm pregnant. So it's brought up a really sad memory for them or something that, tragically went on for them in their life, but I couldn't read it. And I know that sounds selfish, but I had to put my own mental state first for my child, my unborn child at that point. Cause I felt like I can't read these. Otherwise I'm going to get so bogged down with that. I will then worry and cause things to happen in my own life. If you know what I mean? Yeah. How, how was your pregnancy? So I was very lucky. I had a lovely pregnancy. I was very lucky. And I also feel like I have to always before, I don't know whether you feel like this, but I always feel like before I say anything, I think YouTube's definitely done this to me. When I say something, I know that there's always going to be another opinion, but I know that I cause myself. So like, let's say, I mean, it's a bit of a different topic, but me and Spencer, we do open sex Q and A's and we talk very openly about sex, trying to break a taboo subject and we answer questions, et cetera. And me and Spencer said at one point, like, oh, we don't, we don't watch porn anymore. Like we just don't watch it. Well, I opened myself up to a can of worms because I have people saying your sex life is boring. I can't believe you said this. You're judging me for watching porn. I was like, absolutely not. Whatever you want to do in your bedroom, you do in your bedroom, whatever you want to do. But that's what I feel like now. I always have to second guess what I'm saying. And I always sort of do a trigger warning for other people. So I'm like, oh, I had a nice pregnancy, but if you didn't, I'm really sorry. No, because do you know what? I feel like you have to own your own narrative and I get why you do it. There's like this meme that goes around that says someone goes on, opens up Twitter and says, I love pears. And then people are like, what about apples? Don't you like, (laughs) I had an allergic reaction to pears. I think it's really irresponsible. And actually there's one thing about being mindful and there's one thing about being grateful, but I personally do feel like a lot of motherhood and I don't know why I think because it is such a sensitive topic for so many Mm. people, a lot of motherhood is being told that your feelings aren't valid because you should be grateful. Yeah. And I definitely found that. And when I was at my worst, I've talked about it on the, the podcast before, but when I was having like suicidal ideations and I was just in a really awful space in my mental health and in my journey to becoming a mother and embracing this new identity, the guilt of me, I already put so much pressure on myself of like, what is wrong with me? I should be so lucky. Some people can't have children. Some people you know, are putting their babies on dinghies to cross the channel. Like, who am I to be upset? And honestly, this is for anyone. We cannot think this way because our emotion, we are we are just humans at the end of the day. And also, I think every time you talk, when you're like trying to be grateful and mindful, I think you can do that in silence because I actually find it a bit more, not annoying, that's not the right word. When people yeah. are trying to be mindful, they can actually sound... So I think, for example, that during like in the like in the middle of lockdown, when it, like you know when none of us knew what was going on, I remember I think it was Hayley Bieber or Kendall Jenner. They said something like, I think were they having a conversation online, but they said something about obviously we are so fortunate, we are so lucky, we are so, and they were trying to almost apprehend what people were going to say, and it came across almost as more. Like they were putting it in your face. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like it would almost have been better if they'd have said nothing. And I think sometimes when we're trying to be so mindful of other people or whether or being like, I'm so grateful, people are a bit like, okay. And we can't live for other people's opinions because actually most people are happy for you and the people that aren't happy for you, what you say and how other people perceive it, that's on them if they perceive you or the things you talk about. Sorry, I feel like I'm going into like a motivational speech. No, but I completely agree with you. I feel like it was just everything. I think I had, I was very, I was very lucky to have a nice pregnancy and my, they were very mindful of me because 
I'd spoken about how my mum had suffered really bad postnatal depression with three out of four of her children. So I spoke about that when I first fell pregnant. They were very much like, you know, we need to always make sure we're talking to you because postnatal depression can run in the genes, apparently, or depression can essentially. And I was, I think because we were renovating our house, I had no bath, we had no kitchen, I had to move into my dad's. My dad was running his work through his house. Is and it just, throughout your pregnancy? Throughout my pregnancy. I mean, at nine months pregnant, I was still not in the house. I was at my dad's in a room that we had to keep changing rooms in his house because he was doing rooms up. And it was that, I think, gave me that stress that it took off any worry in the pregnancy. I think I had that focus and that like, that was really stressful. Renovating is hard when you're pregnant, but renovating a whole entire house, you know, it was it was unlivable, completely unlivable. Every room was completely destroyed. But the one thing I found hard in pregnancy was the, the constant comments, you know, even from my neighbors that are just, they're lovely people. I love them, but they'd see me and go, Oh my God, you're so big. And that wasn't the problem for me. The problem for me was I wasn't that big. I was measuring small. So at my midwife appointments, no one knew about this because I didn't speak about my growth scans or anything like that on the internet because I didn't want to put something out there that was worrying for me. I felt like if I speak about an anxiety in this sense, I feel like I'll make it worse. So I just mm-hmm. kept to myself and I had to keep going for growth scans. They're saying, oh, you're measuring small. We might have to induce you. We might have to do these things. And when people are going, wow, your bump's massive. I'm thinking, no, but it's, it's not. It's not measuring how it should be. And, you know, in your head, you're like, that's, that's one thing I found hard. And then other people are going, but you are really small. You're measuring really, you look really small. Your bump looks really small. Is your baby okay? And it's like, there are enough worries and pressure that we have on ourselves as a pregnant woman, as a woman in general. And that's the thing I found hard. As much as I loved having this family and community, I found that quite, I found that hard. I found that triggering. I found that stressful. I found that it put quite a bit of pressure on my body, really. Do you know, there's a really interesting, because I, I speak to people who have online platforms or who are completely private, like my sister who doesn't put her life online. She does the opposite. And everybody does say they experience the same thing. And it's the unsolicited advice and the scaremongering. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, a really good for anyone listening. Who's like, I'm going through this now. Like, how can I stop people from like scaring me or saying these things that I loved a Ted talk by a lady called Leslie Walters and it's called mind your own pregnancy. And it's, basically talks about that, that women are subjected to the unsolicited opinions of mm-hmm. random strangers. They comment on your bump. And that is apparently one of the like greatest forms of anxiety. And it's really interesting. She said her job is two things. One is telling them what they see. So like about the growth and any concerns. Mm-hmm. And then she said the other half of her job is calming people down because they've been scared by the advice of others. And I think it's very easy to forget when you're a mum, because I sometimes say to someone who gives me unsolicited advice, or if I had, like, for example, when I was in like the absolute pits of my mental health and really struggling with the idea of being a mum and not knowing if I regretted it, which obviously I always loved Alf, but I was just really struggling. And then when people were like, if you think this is bad, just wait until he turns two. And I was like, I cannot hear that, but I need to know that it gets better because for me right now, it can't get any worse. And by the way, I love things now. I know that there's challenges, but I've accepted my new identity as a mom. I've figured out the bits of myself that I wanted to keep. And those unsolicited opinions can really rock someone that's already maybe struggling. It was the afterbirth. No one really spoke about postpartum for me. I feel like everyone spoke to me about my pregnancy. Everyone spoke to me about the birth, like prepare for this, do this, drink raspberry leaf tea, eat the dates, all these things, you know, those things. But no one told me I would bleed for this long afterwards. I didn't know. I didn't do any research. I I, I didn't read any books because I felt like if I read books and Renalia wasn't what the book had told me she'd be like, I think that would have sent me into a frenzy like, oh, because she's not like Z child, she's C child. You know, I think that's why I didn't read anything. And I just didn't have any idea. And postpartum for me threw me a bit like the in-between clothes, you know, you're not in your maternity clothes, but you're not in your old clothes anymore. And it's like, what do I wear? Should I buy new clothes to fit me? And then I was pregnant in the summer. So I had all these floaty maxi dresses, which I then couldn't wear in September because I was like, this just isn't working for me now. And I felt like, the postpartum healing. I mean, I'm really open about this now, but for me, loads of women have said to me, oh my God, you know, you'll have an amazing sex life afterwards. And I've also heard women be like, I'm still not healing. And for me, that's that's not healing yet. And I went to the doctors, I went to two different doctors 
And one Did you doctor, have a vaginal birth? Yes. And one doctor said to me, that's not normal. And I said, what do you mean? Four months after I had a smear and wow, 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 wow. I didn't realize how much that would hurt. And that's me being honest, you know, it just hurt me from my smear, but it went quick. Like, you know, I'm glad I did it. And then she said, oh, it is very sore in there. It's very sore. And I was like, okay, brilliant. And she said to me, that's fine though. And I was like, excellent. I then went to see the GP and the GP was like, yeah, it's not normal to hurt this long afterwards. I'm like, it's only been five months. Like surely some women heal differently. And then I've had so many women actually reassure me saying, I didn't heal for this long and I didn't heal for this long. Like every person is different. Every body is different. And I feel like I actually was triggered more by going to the GP for that. I think the thing that shocked me the most about the post-birth side of it, you're right. Like we talk about pregnancy so much, like, Mm -hmm. and then when you give birth, it's almost just about the baby. And of course, like the baby is so important. And like, I'm so grateful every day that he was healthy. Um, But it was also a bit like, but what about me? I could barely sit down. I had stitches. Like it was quite a traumatic birth, which again, I've talked about. And I was really clinging on to this six week check and so when it wasn't a physical check and I was like what do you mean like how will I know if my stitches have healed and and in the end I went private again something I've talked about and I was thinking like I feel really lucky that I can afford to pay for this to find out I have a prolapse prolapse but we shouldn't have to like I've I've had operations on the NHS before and they literally come and check your stitches you get such good aftercare but then when it's childbirth it's like why aren't people taking it seriously and there's this kind of idea that it's just what women do, you know, that, yeah. oh, these should, and then the sex thing, I think because we live in such a frumpy society that I find it comfortable to talk about sex. But I was thinking like, after six weeks, I'll be back to having sex. I'll be back to yeah. working out, I'll be back to running. And six, seven months later, I was still not ready. But also my yeah. physio was saying to me, if you went running now, like you would do yourself some serious harm. And it's like, so why are we not taught about our bodies? We're not, I didn't know anything. You know, and that that can actually send you into a little frenzy because you can be like, right, okay, without these people on the internet, really, who are telling me it's okay, when my own GP wasn't even telling me it's normal. You know, she scared the absolute living daylights out of me. I had an infection. I had like a bacterial infection and she was telling me how I've got to go for this. I've got to go for this. And, you know, you're just thinking, oh, my God. I did not know any of this. And especially with breastfeeding, they say that your uterus contracts a bit more, so you bleed for a bit longer. So then I was like, didn't have any idea about this. Now I do, but I feel like the unknown for me was actually way more scary now looking at it. The postpartum for me was the journey where I was like, okay, loads of people say when your milk comes in, it's going to be emotional. No one can tell you what it's actually going to be like when your milk when your milk comes in and I remember I had a little bicker with Spencer on the day day four my milk came in and I went for a a checkup on my latch and oh my god I went into the midwife and I was just bawling my eyes out but then I was like so embarrassed but then also angry and I felt all these different emotions and I was like hormones are a real thing and I don't think we really really understand them until you really are hit with them because I didn't have any explanation for it other than okay, my milk's come in and this is why I'm feeling this way. I just had all these emotions. I just remember how painful the milk coming in was just for like that day. But it was just like, oh my God, why did no one tell me? It was so uncomfortable. And Tommy still talks about the fact that I'm quite close with his mum, Claire. She used to be a nurse. I was in my room and she was like, do you want me to like help massage the lumps out? And I was like, yes, please. And Tom walked in and I was just topless with his mum. Like, and I, and I was like, don't judge me. It's so nice. <laughs> I just felt, I feel like I really needed that. The ultimate, the ultimate. I was telling, people were telling me everything. Use toothbrushes, use electric vibrators. toothbrushes. <laughs> yeah, vibrators, everything. I was like, get these lumps out. So how is your breastfeeding journey going now? Because obviously you're five months. um, And last time I spoke to you was actually when we were meant to be doing the podcast, but you were ill or Renee was ill. and the joys of motherhood, whatever they get. That was another another shock for me of like, I'm ill. Can someone take this? What do you mean I still have to look after my baby? But I'm ill. I want to lie in bed and I want to watch Netflix and I want to like be ill. Yeah. And then you're like, I literally need help here. I need someone to be... I know you've tried and, you know, I know you've spoken openly about it, but we have tried every bottle. We've tried everything. And she did have a tongue tie, which was undiagnosed by three different people, which I know is understandable because they just don't have the resources and they don't have the training for it. And it's not something they necessarily. So I went private for that, got that revised, the tongue tie, and that changed. That was a really hard thing for me as well. When her tongue tie got revised and it got 
cut, I had to retrain her to feed. And that night I was on the phone to 111 and I was on the phone to where I gave birth and I was like, I don't know what to do. She doesn't want to latch, but she's screaming. She's so hungry. I was dripping it in her mouth. But then she was sort of choking from where she was so, so irate and so in a state. But I can honestly say hand, you know, wholeheartedly that everyone told me, when you get to 10 weeks, oh, that's the one thing I loved. When you get to 10 weeks, your breastfeeding journey will level out. Your boobs will level out. Your supply will level out. And it'd be amazing. Wasn't like that for me. It didn't hit 10 weeks. I was still so engorged. I had an oversupply and a fast letdown. And I was still in agony. I was still having to give them Epsom salt baths and massage constantly. And, and then I was told, don't, whatever you do, don't pump because you'll cause more of a supply. And so it actually got to about, I would say it got to about three and a half, four months, and then it hit me. And now I feel like we're on a, an amazing thing. But now I'm at the point where we're going to have to start weaning her because my milk isn't sufficient enough for anymore. It is sufficient, but you know, for her body, it's sufficient. My milk is giving her the nutrients she needs, but it's not giving her the fullness she needs. Like at night, I used to be able to feed her back to sleep. Oh no, she does not feed back to sleep now. She'll drain one boob, then the other boob, and then she'll still be awake chatting looking around and I'm like right it's that's something I'm struggling with now because I'm like oh this is where I need you to have food for yourself because you clearly my milk isn't enough and I feel like we just got to a really good point and now it's but that's the joys of motherhood I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's just constantly you've got to take every day as it comes it's like I feel like no matter what people say you know like there's something about maternal instincts we mm -hmm. we started weaning out a little bit before six months because also like we just we I knew that it was time like it, it was ready like he yeah. was ready and I also feel like a really good advice that I was given about advice ironically was have a list of people who you're willing to take and absorb advice from and the rest just let it go over your head because otherwise you get bogged down with everyone else's journeys mm -hmm. and experiences and highs and lows and people saying things to you like from 10 weeks on this will happen and it probably did for them and maybe it does but I this is where I struggle with my mental health because I kind of had it in my head that the fourth trimester as they call it was where postpartum depression would happen if it would happen and I was on cloud nine for those first four months even though I was dealing with like the physical side of things and the worry about will my body be normal again? I, you know, I was suffering with incontinence and fecal incontinence and all of these things. And it, it did, it does not did. It does annoy me that the conversation around postnatal is still so much about weight loss because I feel like we have all these things that we're worrying about and people just seem to care if you snap back or not. Yeah. When actually, like, it, it's a whole thing, isn't it? Not fitting in your clothes, not knowing what, like, you want to feel good. I don't think we can win in any way, shape or form. Like, I recently just did a TikTok. I actually got a, a comment. I, don't, I can't remember the exact comment. But it was like, there's nothing womanly about you. Even after a baby, you've still got a child's body. And I just felt like, what a contradiction, firstly. In the same sentence you've told me, I'm not womanly. You've told me I've had a child. So clearly, there is something womanly about me. But also... You just cannot win. You cannot win whether, like in pregnancy, your bump's too big, your bump's too small, you're this, 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 you put on loads of weight or you haven't put on enough weight. Or when you do come back, it's whether I'm comfortable in my body or not, that's for me. That's for me to know. You know, my body has changed. Whether people on the outside, people think, oh, you know, you snap back really quickly. My body's changed. You know, my hips have got wider, my ribs have got wider, everything's got a bit saggier. I've got extra skin that I didn't have. All these different things. But without saying it, I'm very lucky that I had, I, I'm very lucky that I, was able to have a baby and I look at my body now and I, I appreciate my body more than I ever did before I look back at photos now and I'm like oh wow you sometimes used to feel bloated and all these things and now now I realize I appreciate my body way more but appreciating your body and also having days where you're like oh I'm battling with the fact that things are a bit different now you're still allowed to appreciate but also have insecurities I think this is it isn't it it's like yeah. A lot of us, and I'm sure people listening as well, will look back occasionally at pictures and think like, what was, what did I worry about? But that is proof that actually it's not all about the way our bodies look ever. Mm -hmm. It's all about our mindset. And I found in postpartum, I loved my body so much more, but it also sometimes felt like I was looking at a stranger's body so I could appreciate and I, I was so grateful for what it does I still can't believe I grew eyelashes do you know what I mean like, I, I don't know why the eyelashes thing got me but I was like I've just there's eyelashes like growing inside of me and 
and I, I was I'm so in awe of it but sometimes I like look in the mirror like now that I've stopped breastfeeding my boobs mm-hmm. are quite empty and apparently it can they can like fill out again um six months to two years but I look at my boobs in a bra sometimes and they're like they've got loads of lines I'm a bit like empty and saggy and I was like whose bo- like who whose body is this like well, I feel like the bath and they look like little triangles and you're like Thank yeah. you. Very much for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I'm just waiting for Alf to like start talking and start like absolutely savaging my body. <laughs> Cheers. It's just that thing, isn't it, that you can be grateful for it, but also yeah. be like, wow, I just don't recognize it's changed. But also knowing, I always tell myself, if I didn't appreciate my body 10 years ago, in 10 years from now, I will also look back at my body now and be like, I, what, I looked amazing it's like you know bump pictures I'm so pleased I took pictures of my bump and if anyone is pregnant and no matter how you think you look or feel mm-hmm. take pictures because I look at my body now and I'm like oh my god my body looked amazing I can't believe that was Alf inside my belly that no. I look so beautiful like the baby you hold your baby that you're kissing and cuddling was actually with you like growing in I just find it magical I do find that absolutely magical the female body is just incredible but I also struggle if I'm honest completely with the fact that I think every time I've gone to take her to a baby class I've either been ill she's had something or it's not worked with our schedules and obviously because I work at home and yes I do have my husband with me and we work together but you know I'm juggling work and also juggling having Renalia. So I haven't yet taken her to a baby group. Oh, I've had so many people say like, you need to do that. And I know I need to do that. And then I've had people say like, wait until she's crawling. It'll be more fun for her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I know I need to take her to a baby group. And this isn't, I'm not stopping myself for this reason, but I have, I have got a lot of anxiety about making mum friends because I guess because of the internet, because I've had so many other mums attack me for anything tiny. If I've put something wrong up or, you know, they don't agree with what you've done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like I'm scorned and scarred by that thinking if I go to these baby groups, are they going to be really competitive mums? Are they going to want to compete with me about the fact that their baby's not sitting up or their baby is sitting up and all these things. And I think that that's me being honest. I found that a little bit. I think I found that hard. You know, one of my friends has a baby. One of my friends has an 11 year old child. So none of my friends are pregnant or anything like that or have a newborn. And obviously I don't anymore, but at that time, I just found that quite isolating. And I have recently made a mum friend and she was so lovely and so like me. And she lives up the road. Our babies are literally three weeks apart. And I branched out of my comfort zone and did that because I know that Renee needs to see other children. She needs that. She needs to be able to see other babies to develop and go, oh, wow, they're like me. And I don't know what their brains are doing. But that's one thing I think I've really struggled with, the fact that I need to push myself out of my comfort zone. I am so incredibly confident but underneath, I'm such an introvert. I'm like, oh, my anxiety. Like when I'm in front of people, I can talk for, for England. But before it, I'm like, oh my God, what if they're going to be like this? What if they're going to be like that? And I found that quite isolating. That's something I found quite hard, I think. Do you know what? It's really interesting because I think you'll find that most people are exactly the same, that they, they, they're nervous. And I think, you know, there is that worry of like, am I just... I don't really want to like have this competitive nature or make people like fill me with anxiety. And I guess it's like anything in life, you know, like making friends as an adult is hard. And I like for me personally, there is like almost like I've talked about this before, but I feel like we are all a bit misogynistic about being mums because we're like, oh, but I'm, oh, I don't like frumpy clothes as if like every pregnant person before you is like lived in frumpy clothing yeah. or like, oh, but I'm not like the other mums or, but I'm still not going to, I still like want to be me. I, I, but of course, like we are all in the same situation. And I think in life, it's like you go to school every day. You're not friends with every single person that you went no. to school with. You find your tribe. And I remember being really, really apprehensive about going to any group. And I and do you know what? I went, it's actually to baby swim. And number one, like I was focused so much on Alf, I barely like saw anyone else anyway. But you you find your people. And I moved to Essex when Alf was around five, six months. And I met some like people in like swimming, a couple that I was like really close with and a couple not so much, but we'd hang out. And it was just nice, you know, to talk about someone going through stuff the same as you, but anyone that made me feel a bit anxious when I left, or I felt like they were being competitive of like, oh, does your, what, your son still sleeps in your bed or you don't have him in a cot, anyone like that. I was like, they're not my people. 
yeah. like they're not my people and then you don't have to do it. I think that makes me feel a lot better. I think actually, yeah, I think I'm overanalyzing thinking I have to be mates with everyone in the room. In anything in life, the scariest thing is the thought of doing something. But once you go, even if you go and hate it, like that's okay, mm-hmm. you could leave or you could, but you might find like even just seeing, like Renee, you might hate it and you might be like, do you know what? That one's not for us. But you might get there and seeing the joy on her face of yeah, playing true. drums or whatever it is, you might be like, God, I don't even care about anyone else. Like this, this is so cool. You might meet your new best friend. Like, and I, I, I've become really good friends with a woman called Louise. And I used to, I always go to the duck pond, especially when my mental health was bad. I would just always like go without to the duck pond. Mm-hmm. And I kept bumping into her. And when I decided like, right, I really need to get some mum friends. And again, like not anyone, of course, I don't want to be friends. Like it has to be your yeah. tribe because there's nothing lonelier than hanging out with people that aren't on your level. And that's the same with everything in life. And she just seemed cool and I think she might have reached out to me or I can't remember how it happens, but now we meet every week or so to try and take Alf and her daughter to the farm or it's just so nice because she's on my level and we chat about non-baby stuff, but we also have someone to talk to that gets it, that we're going through. So I feel like, you know, it's like, it's like what made you start YouTube? What made you start Instagram? You had to like fight the fears to start something. And I always say this to everyone. Do you think that Donald Trump is the best, or Joe Biden, it's not political. Do you think they are the best, most capable people in the whole of the United States of America to lead the country? Probably not. But most people who would be good enough are probably afraid of trying because they're afraid of failure. And it's usually the people that just try that get ahead. And that can be the same with motherhood, you know. God, I feel like I'm like... No, no, no. I think that's I think it's amazing. No, it's, I'm I'm grateful for it, and I think that it's important to talk about because I think so many people are like me. I, I think I, I put it on my Instagram story. So many people message me like I feel the exact same way. I would never hold Renalia back. I never ever, and I'll never show her how nervous Mummy is. But I feel like that's something which I have definitely feel. I feel like even before the mum came round, I was like never had a mum round with a baby before like what do they what do they do what does she want should I get bits in so I went to M&S and I got all like the cornflake cakes and the brownie bites for the mum and I was like there's there I got the coffee out I was like well I just I'm quite a solo individual anyway I have a very small group of friends I have never had a big group of girlfriends and my friends aren't all in one big group they all live in different parts of the country so I'm quite a loner in some respects you know I have my husband and I feel like we're very much together but also for her sake I need to push myself out of my comfort zone and having her around, I was so apprehensive before it. And then she came around and I was like, oh, that was amazing. And I always feel like when you do something, you feel so much better for it afterwards. Even if it went badly, you're like, I did it. I pushed myself to do something that maybe I was worried about and I did it. And Renelia was staring at her little girl and it was wonderful. Cause I was like, she's seen another baby, you know? So yeah, I definitely need to just know it's going to be fine. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Push Your Peak is a brand new podcast brought to you by What Bike. Join me, Louise Minchin, and some of the world's most incredible sports people to learn what it takes mentally and physically to push yourself beyond your limits. Whether you're an elite or everyday athlete, it can be hard to continually progress. How do you push yourself out of your comfort zone? Where do you go to find that inner drive? Tune in to hear these inspiring stories and take away the belief that you can achieve your own goals no matter matter how big or small. You can find us wherever you got this podcast. Just search Push Your Peak. I remember speaking about this with um, Natalie Rushdie on another podcast episode. Like she loves going to mum groups. Like she loves it. And so she goes mm-hmm. to loads. I don't go. I, I take out swimming, but that's it. Because it, I think part of motherhood is also figuring out what you like and what you don't like. And if you don't want to be at banging on drums and singing baby songs. If it's not for you, that's okay. Like yeah. nobody's criticizing dads. Like, oh, what, you don't go to baby centers? So it's it's okay if you love going and it's okay if you don't want to work and you just want to be a mom and it's okay if you want to work and yeah. also be a mom. Like for me, like one of the biggest turning points of me starting to enjoy motherhood and also not feel like I'd made a really big mistake by being a mom and also like, loving my time I spent with Alf was realizing that I don't have to pretend to be someone that I'm not and doing what works for me finding a way in which I can be happy has made me a such a better mum because I'm happy around him Tommy's parents are here today and they're taking him to soft play and that's amazing because he's yeah. going to soft play but it's not me taking him and I'm sat doing my work and chatting to you and I think I need to get to that point because I feel like I'm still at the mum guilt and I know that's me as a person I know that that that's a massive thing of mine I think it's my biggest and best quality that I overthink because I care so much but also it's probably my biggest downfall because I overthink everything and I think at the very beginning I put so much pressure on myself as a mum but also I went back to work so quickly because being self-employed I didn't get those you know the time off and also being on YouTube taking a lot of time off isn't really a thing Lots of people were like, you need to share her name. You need to, because they've built a community with me and also they've helped me grow. You know, I'm very much, you know, of course I put content out there, but because of them watching me, I'm, I have success and I am successful. So I feel like in a way you feel like you owe people something. So then I felt like, okay, I've got to go back to work. I went back to work after like four weeks. I remember when we went for her jabs, I was like, oh, I don't think we'll be able to schedule that jab in because I got work. And the, the nurse was like, you've gone back to work. And I was like, no, don't look at me like that. Cause you've made me feel guilty. If I don't work, I feel guilty to Renalia because I'm like, well, I need to bring in income. I want you to have good things. And I want you to see a mum that's working and be driven in that sense. But then also I'm like, whoa, if I am going back to work too soon, I'm like, wow, I should be with Renalia. I should be just 100%, 24 hours a day being with Renalia because she needs her mum. And honestly, the guilt in my head about a lot of things, I'm getting better. But yeah, that's something that I feel like is whirling 24 seven. I think no one explained to me or, you know, every woman feels differently. I have a friend that has a baby and she's had her recently. She lives a couple of, she lives about 30 minutes away from me in Brighton. And she is so different to me as a mom, so different. And it's actually quite eye-opening being around her. Cause I'm like, wow, you're we're so different. And that's amazing because you make me feel more chilled because you're so chilled and so laid back. I'm like, yeah, anyone can feed her, go and do that. And I'm like, <laughs> she's not taking a bottle. So, you know, my mum, I had a shoot yesterday, uh, two days ago for the honey store and they came down to do some behind the scenes because they got their own brand, my friends. They were doing some behind the scenes shots for me and my mum was feeding their baby. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I am so not that, I'm not there. For me, I, I, I don't want other people feeding Renalia except my husband or family. We're, we're not at that point anyway yet because she doesn't take a bottle. But I just found like, it's refreshing being around other mums because we are all we're all so different. We're all, even if we agreed with certain things, me and you, we're still different mums because we've got different babies, different sleep patterns, different behaviours. And the same way that as adults, we're all so different. So that's why I think it's so important to realise that there isn't like a one size fits all. There there is no good mum. And maybe that can help with your mum guilt because like some mums go back to work. Some Mm. mums don't. Some mums do let everybody touch and feed their baby. Some mums aren't. And whatever you do, it's fine. Like, and I think that's why it's so important to like support and not judge because actually there is no right or wrong way. And as long as you're happy, because Alf didn't take a bottle either. And I, I'm really proud of my breastfeeding journey, but I also feel like I struggled a lot because I, I felt like a 
alone with it <laughs> because as much as Tommy did, obviously he wasn't the one up in the night and he wasn't the one contorting his body into weird positions. And I went back to DJing, like Tommy had to come with me, which again, amazing that he took time off work to like come to Cornwall, say to Ballmasters Festival. But I always had that anxiety of like, is Alf going to need feeding? I ended up having to feed him on the Jeremy Vine show because... I know, I thought that was so empowering. Well, it's hard because also it shouldn't be a thing. Do you know what? It should just be like, of course you need to feed a baby. And like, if it was a bottle, if it was a boob, but sadly, like no one else had the boobs. I wish they did. Honestly, I wish that they did. And I tried and tried and bottles to the point that it was actually like stressing me out. Or the dummy. Give her a dummy. And I'm like, she doesn't take a dummy. I tried to give her a dummy. She doesn't like dummies. So I think other people, is she going to take the bottle? Have you tried bottles? I'm like, we've tried. We've tried. I don't want to keep trying because yeah, exactly that. And like even earlier, I was doing a TikTok live and Renelia woke up and she needed to feed. And then loads of people were like, I'm going to report you. Obviously I didn't feed her completely. I zoomed in. I was just like, I'm just going to zoom you in because I know that I have a younger audience on TikTok. And if you get reported, you can't do lives. And I enjoy doing lives on there. But also breastfeeding isn't sexual. So we'll report you for what? For feeding a child? But on, unfortunately, I think you saw on TikTok, I did get my piece taken down. I actually went back and fought against it and they put a video back up because they said it was sexual activity, sexual activity, feeding my daughter, whoever finds that sexual, that's on them. They should be banned on TikTok. It's really sad, isn't it? The attitudes about breastfeeding. Like for me, it doesn't matter how you choose to feed your child or how circumstances dictate that you feed your child, but we need to support people. And boobs have been so sexualized that it's considered private or sexual or intimate to feed a child it's it's madness really because i've had people say sort of extended family members not my direct family but extended family members be like oh i'll go out the room and i'm like go out the room for what like i you know i don't don't care like what what, why would you go out the room i'm feeding her i think maybe a lot of people feel uncomfortable because they don't want you to feel uncomfortable when i was breastfeeding i'd always say by the way i'm about to breastfeed i'm really chilled like just don't feel like you have because then it's because I feel, feel like maybe some people especially older generations are probably a bit like I don't want to feel uncomfortable because I'm here my mum breastfed all of her four babies and actually she was very much behind me and had a really good support system but also my mum was always very much to the point where well, however you feed your baby she educated me when I was younger I was bottle fed after three months because my mum had to return back to work after three months because they couldn't financially afford for her to be at home and she says it still triggers her now still really triggers her that I'm at home with Renalia and she still says like I felt like I was reliving my life with you, Imogen, because I never got to see you at home. I went back to full-time work and I'm so happy that I had a little girl first because of that, for my mum to be able to go, I got the time I didn't have with you as a baby, with your daughter, who was also inside me, basically. So I feel so happy about that. But I feel like I'm the exact same as you. However you feed your baby is, you know, Fed is best. Fed is 100% best. But I wish that we just empowered each other more. Supported is best, I think. Yeah, supported, exactly. I feel like sometimes I actually feel not embarrassed of me breastfeeding. I'm like, yeah, I sometimes feel awkward for mums because I think, are they going to judge me if I say I'm breastfeeding or if I whack out, you know, my breast? But then that's other people's issue is not your no, issue and I think that's such an important thing to remember that I posted I don't know if you saw a picture the other day there's been this huge mural of a, a mermaid breastfeeding a little mermaid baby in Glasgow I put up some thoughts about it on my stories just saying I find this really interesting because basically this particular place in I think it's somewhere just outside of Glasgow is one of the most deprived areas in Scotland and they also have the worst breastfeeding rates. Only 19% of mums still breastfeed after six weeks. So they decided to put up this mural. And I was a bit like, I actually, as much as I love breastfeeding, as much as I support people mm-hmm. who breastfeed, I think it's a bit in almost in bad taste because the, the support needs to be better because it is not easy. And there's so much like sacrifice and I think a lot of people's attitudes also aren't very supportive about breastfeeding because they're like, I'll just give her a bottle. I'll just give up. And it, and and I was like, people need funding and free lactation consultants and free yeah. physio and free. And also we, we don't know people's circumstances. Like, you know, like you said, your mum had to go back to work. My mum had to go back to work after six weeks. So maybe people can't breastfeed because actually the maths doesn't math because they, is it who, who say that technically you should breastfeed for two years? I haven't, and I didn't, and I feel no guilt about it, but also maternity leave, even really good maternity leave. What is it? A year? 
No, yeah, so how does that work? How does that work? Because you can't breastfeed and work. And in an ideal world as moms, like the caveman times would have been much simpler because we could just sit and feed our babies and, you know, be these earthy mothers. But like mm-hmm. we live in a consumer society. We need money to live. We meet, like, And also we have privilege and luxury that we can decide what works for us and what doesn't. And nobody's judging dads for going back to work because of course they need to work. But a lot of women are breadwinners or career women. And why should they have to sacrifice? And, and therefore we have to get used to seeing breastfeeding or pumping because we should be like, Oh, well, good for you for like making it work because it isn't easy. In the same way that bottle feeding isn't easy. Like God, my sister would bottle feed and I was like, I'm so glad I don't have to deal with the sterilizing of the bottles. I can shove a boob in his mouth to stop him crying. And, and a tongue tie isn't specific for what you're feeding. Breastfed and bottle fed babies have tongue ties. Babies have tongue ties. And I think that's one thing I also think that we need, we need so much more funding for that because, you know, I was really fortunate that I had the luxury. Yeah, man, what, what, how did you know about tongue tie? Because I suspected Alf did, but what is... What did you look out for and how did you go about fixing it? I got t- told on day one, no, no tongue tie. Day four, no tongue tie. 12 days in, no tongue tie. And then again, it just started to hurt really badly on one, one boob. One boob was not getting drained at all. The engorgement, the, they were so worried I was going to get mastitis. That I had to keep going and constantly keep talking to a lactation consultant. And actually, I was lucky that I was fortunate enough to be able to have that because really the NHS... I was on a wait list for 10 weeks to be able to see someone. How would I have seen someone in 10 weeks? How 10 weeks of this painful feeding? I would have given up. I would have given up because the pain, it was excruciating on one side. It was like, and then I would not feed on that side. So then because she'd favored this one so much, that one would just constantly get engorged and wouldn't get drained. And then I was like, the lumps, the pain, I had blocked ducts. And I was like, this isn't right. And Spencer and everyone kept saying to me, my husband was like, because we, he's very much new to this, just like I am. And he was like, we had no idea what even a tongue tie was. But I kept researching, like, why does it hurt on one side? And it just kept leading me to tongue tie. And I was like, I need help. So then I followed this reflux lady because she had really bad reflux. And apparently when they have bad reflux, it can actually coincide with having a tongue tie. So then this reflux lady on Instagram, Rockabye Reflux, she was the lady that actually said to me, before you do my course, I actually think you should get checked for the tongue tie first. Because nine times out of 10, she's probably got a tongue tie. And thank wow. God she told me that because I had no idea. I had zero idea. We went to see we went to see a lovely lady in London and she was like, yeah, she's got a 70% tongue tie. It's very much there. It's not posterior. It's not the back. It's there. I was like, is it a hidden tongue tie? No, no, no. It was there. And because of the thing is, getting your baby's tongue up is quite hard anyway, especially when they're not cupping up. So she wouldn't lift her tongue up a lot. So sometimes milk would sort of splurt out the sides. And the problem with it was because I had an oversupply and a fast letdown, the NHS were like, brilliant. She's gaining so much weight. She's doubled her birth weight already. Like, and because when they gain weight, they never look into it. If she wasn't gaining weight, they would have said, right, she's not on her centile. Something's happened. She must have a tongue tie. But because she was gaining so much weight, it got lost. And by the way, I'm not sitting here, by the way, and saying anything about, bad about the NHS. I I feel so great. No, it's okay. But it's also important that we accept that, yes, the NHS are amazing and we're so fortunate to have them, but they need some serious funding. And actually what women and mums, the support or lack of we get in the postnatal times is so behind other countries like Sweden and Germany and France who get, they get free physio, they get lactation no. consultants, they get t- checked for tongue tie. Like we are miles behind. So it's okay to say we need better care and I think part of our love of the NHS is what stops us from complaining but I think women have cut up and shut up for too long and actually it's not acceptable to go into births and not get the pain relief that you want or not get not get the aftercare that you need of course it's like it's not acceptable I've heard so many people say that and actually the lady who did her tongue tie revision what is a nurse as well and she was a midwife for a very long time and she even said this is why I went down this route because there wasn't that in the NHS and there isn't that in the NHS still now and I've been doing this for so long with tongue ties and I see so many people come in here and say the thing is the problem is apparently what the lady said to me was that it's not their fault that they tell you there isn't a tongue tie. They've not been trained to look for those things or been trained. They haven't got the funding to be trained to look for a tongue tie. So they just go, 
yeah, okay, she's lifting up, she's sucking my finger or she's latched correctly. So they're not really necessarily seeing all the different variations of lip tie or tongue tie. Yeah, I agree with you. There just needs to be more funding because it's just, that's why a lot of women give up because of a tongue tie. I had a horrific rash on my boobs. Mm. Like it was honestly, I, I wanted to rip my boobs off. It must've been about a month in or something, but they were like bright red. We were in lockdown. So there were no face-to-face appointments. I remember I had like a really creepy doctor actually. And he was like, well, I would say send a picture, but you probably don't want to send a picture of your boobs, do you? And in my head, I was like, not now I don't. Like what weird thing is that I ended up going private and actually they, it cost a fortune. And all they did was like provide a steroid cream because it was some kind of like thrush or infection. Who knew you could get thrush in your boobs. But again, I would have stopped if I didn't have like the means Mm -hmm. to pay for that, which I'd rather not have. It was on at that point, I was like, I will pay any money. Like Mm -hmm. I'm about to cut my boobs off. Like it was so painful day and night and everyone kept going, stop scratching. And I was like, you don't understand. (laughs) Don't understand. Yeah. When something's itchy like that, we all know when it's down there, we're like, this is on fire. It's so, (laughs) so yeah. One thing I do really want to talk to you about is the fact that you chose to film your entire birth yes so how was what made you decide that and also talk to me about your birth so it was never intended to go on youtube because i never knew how my birth was going to go so i always said to spencer if it's going well please can you get the camera out i'll be out of it but i'd like to see it back if at any point you feel like i am in let's be honest we need to speak about it there's a lot of trauma in labor. There's a lot of trauma that women can go through. If there's a point where I'm like, absolutely not, or, you know, you can leave the camera running. I'm never going to even watch that footage back, whatever, but turn it off if you can. You know, obviously he was helping me through my contractions. So whatever, but I was very fortunate that it went a certain way that I wanted to show that because I did the hypnobirthing course. And as much as some certain parts of it, I didn't really agree with, I did like the fact that it helped me with breathing and it helped me relax. That's one thing I liked. And that's one thing I'll take from that. You know, not every woman can give birth at home and all these things that I feel like is a little bit more pushed on you during hypnobirthing. I feel like it's very much like if you can give birth at home and all these things, well, I couldn't even live in my house. So I couldn't even think about doing a home birth. I couldn't think of anything worse of doing a home birth, but each their yeah. own again. I, I would like to in the future, if I'm luckily, if I'm lucky enough to, if, if my birth goes that way, but I don't, you don't, you never know. You never know. But I would like to in the future, if I'm not renovating again, I feel like my mom with all four children, she renovated and was pregnant. And I feel like mom, history repeating itself. But with my birth, I chose to put it on there because one thing with the hypnobirthing course was they were like, watch positive birthing stories because it'll not give you the trauma and go into it with such a, I went into it with a very open mind. I mean, in my labor, they didn't even look at my birth preferences because, and I didn't even ask them to, because where I was very, very lucky that, the hospital I gave birth in, we actually drove a bit out of Brighton. I didn't go to Brighton because I, if I had to go to Brighton, I would have gone to Brighton, but I didn't have to. And we drove a bit, a bit out of Brighton for a smaller, older fashioned hospital, but still with the, you know, the right resources, et cetera. And they were so on track with me. They were very much on the same mindset with me, saying the things I thought, oh, okay, they're already in my birth preference. So this is brilliant. And if it was to go a different way, then obviously they would have had to look at it. But I was overdue by two weeks, but looking back at it, Knowing the dates of when we did, we weren't tracking things, but very much I know the date we did because my little brother was staying with us and he went back to my mum's and I was like, we need to lock this in before we go to Christmas, you know, whatever. (laughs) And it was very much like that. But I knew, even though I was measuring small, I knew that I think she actually came at like 38 weeks. They say 42, but then when she came out, she was covered in vernix. They were like, she shouldn't be covered in this much for being so overdue. She should be dry and it should be not on her at all. She was covered and yeah, I and she was, had none he was two weeks over me and he had none and I know that some babies can have some when they're over anyway but I just felt like I got to 40 41 weeks and I was like right get on the walks get on these things get on the curries get on these things whatever and I actually feel like now poor girl would have been chilling in there for a bit longer if I hadn't been like but yeah so I had like early labor for about two days and that was was all in my back and my mum kept saying to me oh, you need to check the position of baby, you need to check the position of baby because why is it all in your back? But through my whole labor, I only had back contractions. I didn't have anything on the front and it was all in my rear. And wow, that pressure was, I thought I would just bounce on the ball the whole time. No, I couldn't couldn't bounce the ball, couldn't lie on the bed. I had to stand up and I was knackered, but uh, you know, I'm very, very grateful. It was a, uh, I actually 
without sounding without sounding putting it in there in people's faces I had a very pers- positive birth I was very no, very it's not putting it in people's faces people need to hear this because I didn't I didn't, but I I want to hear positive yeah. birth stories, and it's so nice to remind people that you can and you deserve to have one. And I think it's so important to talk mm. about the positive ones. I, I did, and my mum had four very traumatic births. So, and everyone kept saying to me, "It runs in the family. How you have, but how your your mum labours, you will labour." And I was like, "Brilliant!" My mum laboured for seventy two hours. She had forceps, you know, epidurals. She had the lot. She had the lot. And then she had emergency C-section for the last one. So I was like, right, you know, in your head. So I'm like, this is why I just had to watch YouTube and watch positive birthing stories. So I felt grateful that no matter how in the future, whenever we're blessed with more children or if that's in my plan, et cetera, no matter how that goes, you know, I, I'm very grateful for, for this one. And I was very grateful to be able to put that up for other people to watch because I watch so many and I'm like, you know, even though I'm showing the rawness of it, I'm literally showing everything. There was one part that Spencer didn't film and it was the part where I was at 10 centimeters and they didn't know that. So I labored for a long time on my own for about two and a half days. And then I got to hospital and I was three centimeters. And I was like, I thought I was like 10, you know, like the pain I'm going through. And I had my mucus plug. And then in hospital, when I got to hospital, I had a lot of blood and I was so panicked. And they were like, this is just a bloody show. Don't worry about it. And they were like, the only thing we're worried about is the fact that her heart rate's dipping. And they were like, we can't let you go home. And I really envisaged being at home for as long as I physically can and then going in. But her movements had reduced and I'd called up and they were like, we just need you in. So they went, I went in, they monitored me and they were like, okay, well, your contractions are doing something, but they're quite far between. Yeah. But at the moment, her heart rate is dipping so much from, you know, 160 down to 80, back up, back up, back down, back up. So they were like, we need to monitor you. So then they got me on a, the ward, the triage ward or whatever, not the labor ward, just the, I don't know what it was called, but I was there and luckily no one was in there. So it was just me and Spencer actually on this ward that no one else was in. And they were like, we're going to have to pop your waters and induce you if her heart rate keeps dropping. At that point, I was like, okay, I didn't want to be induced because I'd heard so many stories of people saying it was so painful being given this fake hormone or whatever. But actually, lots of women have told me that being induced was the best thing that happened to them because it went so quickly and whatever. Again, everybody is different. So then at that point, I was like, okay, let's just see how it goes. Then suddenly my water just popped. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Then they came to me and they were like, wow. And then they saw a little bit of like color in my, in my underwear and they were like, we think that might either be blood or meconium where obviously they do the first poo inside you and it can be really worrying because it can go into their lungs and all these things. My little brother had had it and my little sister had had it in my mum, So I kind of knew about that. And that's kind of, I was like, that was the only time I was a little bit like, Ooh. And then they then examined me after a long time and they were like, and at this point I was only on paracetamol and I was like, I'm going to keep going. And I thought I was so, so dilated, but I wasn't. And then they did an internal. They didn't do any internal. I think they did like two and the whole thing. And they, or three in the whole thing. And they did this second internal. And they were like, oh, your front waters have broken. No, your back waters have broken, but your front waters hadn't. Did I even know there were two waters? Over my head. I was like, what? So they said, basically, her head's just bobbing. Her head is just bobbing and you're not going to dilate for a while. And her heart rate was dropping so much. But actually, now looking back at it, her heart rate was only dropping because I had a really short cord. She came out and her body could only actually go here. Her head was here. I couldn't even kiss her because when she got put on my chest and they were doing the whole cord clamping, et cetera, the delayed thing, I said, Spencer, kiss her because I can't. And they said now that the where I had such a short cord, she was on it so much, it was dropping the heart rate. So actually that's something I now need to, you know, I might have short cords but I did have meconium when they popped my water, they eventually popped my waters and they said there's significant meconium in there. And this was the only part I found quite triggering for me. And that's when I was like, turn the camera off. They wheeled her bed into the bathroom and brought out this incubator thing. And I went, they're going to take my baby off me. They're going to take my baby off me. And that's when I got a bit heightened. And I was like, I didn't want that ever on you know, the video, because I can Mm -hmm. speak openly about that because that was a trigger for me. And, you know, we got through it because your body just, you get through it. You do. You're amazing. Us women are absolutely incredible. No matter how our birth goes, we go from A to Z and we do it. No matter how traumatic it is, no matter how nervous we are, no matter how horrendous the pain is, 
you, we get through it because wow, we've got our babies here. Like if anyone's listening to this and you, you know, you're sat there and you maybe are still dealing with the trauma from your birth you did it. Like, you're amazing. You, there you go. Like, I literally think women need to be, I just think every woman's amazing. Honestly, I'm welling up about it now, but I just think, wow. And I just felt like I wanted to show that I was fortunate enough to have this positive birth experience, but also I'm still open to the point where I'm like, not all my births might go like that, but I feel like I wanted to be a pillar for someone going through labor thinking I could get there maybe potentially, but also I'm very much like, if your labor doesn't go that way, we need to put less pressure on ourselves. That's one thing I found quite triggering from hypnobirthing. I felt like they were very much like have a home birth or have a one of those wards you can go to where it's like a birthing center. There's a birthing center closest to me is like an hour and 10 minutes away. And I think it's just been closed down. I would love to have gone to a birthing center, but I couldn't. I didn't have the, the means or the facility to do that. Every week we basically answer a message from um, one of the lovely listeners. And this week it's from Pip. She emailed and said, hi, Ashley, I found recently I'm really struggling at times with the demand of being a mom and balancing parenting duties whilst working full time. Fortunately, I'm working from home for the foreseeable, but I don't know how I would be if I commuted to the office. Do you have any tips to balance these duties with work and tiredness? Thanks, Pip. You're a working mum. I feel like I'm in the same boat in that sense of I'm very fortunate to be working at home. But then also one thing my mum says to me is that you need to set aside time for you. My mum says sometimes I don't stop for lunch. I just keep going. And then I'm burning myself to the ground because I've had no sleep. I've got all these things I'm missing, you know, brand deals will come in and then I'm missing them. My manager's messaging me like you've missed the approvals date. And I'm like, right. Okay. And I'm so on time normally with everything. I feel like the one thing I would say is I've just bought a whiteboard and it sounds silly and cringy and whatever, but I've just bought a whiteboard to help put all of my, all of the stuff up in here on a board where Spencer can see, I can physically see, I can tick things off. I've got to do lists on my phone, but I don't communicate that with my husband enough. I feel like we need to write things down, see it, in the present, but also understand we can't get everything done. We can't, we physically can't, we're not robots. We, with little to no sleep sometimes, even getting through the day is just just a challenge. I feel like writing things down, setting aside a lunchtime, setting aside a time where you go, right, I've got to do this. I'm going to switch off from this. That's personally for me, what is helping me at the moment, knowing that I've got to be openly loud and communicate my worries and my stresses because otherwise there's no point in having Spencer at home with me. He needs to be yeah. able to help. I feel like how I'm Tom and I are now balancing the work and the tiredness because we're transitioning Alf into his cot. We have a double mattress in his next to his cot. Yeah. We are actually like splitting. One of us does the night shift and he's waking up at like five, five thirty in the morning. So one of us is like with him through the night and one of him, one of us is up with him in the day. So then the one that's up in the morning can go to bed early at night. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's hard and also nothing is forever. So if you have a partner or parents or anyone that can help like ask ask for that help because you can't do it all, all on your own and like you said remember like if there's another parent it, they are the other parent so don't yeah. feel bad like their work is no more important than you than your time like we can't function whether you're staying at home with the baby or whether you're working too we can't do everything night and day so yeah my advice would be find a way to try and split those nights up and also don't feel bad about going to bed early when you can if your baby is going down to sleep because that's what's helped us getting out to bed early and then sometimes I just have to get to bed at eight yeah tonight I actually have to go for dinner at 8 30 and I was like 8 30 that's normally my bedtime <laughs> you also have to protect your own mental health because otherwise my mom always says to me Imogen you need to look after yourself because otherwise you're not going to be any good for an alia. You can burn yourself into the ground running, you know, burning the candle at both ends. But actually, if you really want your daughter to be your priority in this sense, you have to put yourself first because you're looking, you're, you're there. You've got to be functioning for her. So you've got to put your mental health first. You've got to look, look after yourself as well. Number one, you have to, because otherwise you're going to fall apart and crumble. And then who's, who's your, you know, your baby needs you. I feel like you're leaving this on the best, the best advice and you need to follow it yourself yeah, as well. I know. Like, don't feel guilty. Yourself take it, I know. Oh, Imogen, God. thank you so much for coming to chat. I know that Renelia is waking up, um, yeah. but I really appreciate your time. I know how hectic it is, especially in those early months, but you're doing amazing. And thank you to all of you guys for listening to Mum's Word, the parenting podcast. If you enjoyed the episode or you think someone might 
enjoy listening to this particular one feel free to share it and I really should get you to do this given that you're a YouTuber you probably just roll <laughs> no no you're doing it sorry no 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 make sure that you um, hit the subscribe or follow button if you are enjoying it so that you never miss an episode and don't forget that I, I will be reading out different comments and trying to offer advice or at least assure you that you're not alone in how you're feeling so if you do want to drop a comment you can do it on Apple Podcasts when you leave a review you can also get in touch on WhatsApp and send a free voice message which is 75 and yeah I'll be back with another episode same time same place next week Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime round out Mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.